Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing with our series on the Esther Spiros, and tonight's shir is going to be on the Sphira of Tiferes. Now, the association with Tiferes is going to be one of the beauty of paradox. So the title of this year is going to be Tiferes, the beauty of paradox. Now, <clears throat> in order to properly understand the sphere of Tiferes and its placement within the spherotic tree and its main placement, almost as the centering point of the entire 10 spheros, we have to return back a little bit to the interrelationship between the two previous spheros that which we've discussed, which are Chesed and Gevura. Chesed, on the one hand, we described as being associated with loving kindness, with Avraham Avinu, with the ability to move outwards out of oneself, to engage with the other, to move forward and engage in positive commandments through the psychological state of love, which is deeply rooted in the belief of unity of all things. And Gavura, which is going to be associated with Yitzhak Avinu, which is going to be associated with a severity a retreat within the individual, a shove, a return to the self, wherein I no longer want to engage with the outside of myself, but I want to deepen my connection with myself, which is why the numerical value of Gavura 216 was the same as Omek of depth, because in order to break through the surface expressions of things, it demands an act of severity of breaking through and moving from the outside into the inside. Now, we said with regards to chesed, which is associated with the light of day, that when chesed is unbridled, when it's unlimited in its force moving outwards like rushing water, so eventually those relationships and those connections through which a person seeks to create unity through love in the world can actually result in illicit relationships or unhealthy relationships or connecting to things that we should not be connecting to in any facet of our lives, in the world of our lives, in the time of our lives, or the soul of our lives, olam shana or nefesh, as the Sefer Yitzhira writes. And so the Pasuk, when describing illicit relationships, writes that it's ki chesedhu, that if a person engages in chesed to such an extent where there's no distinction between what I can connect to and what I can't connect to, then the loving kindness that seeks to flow out of itself into a unified whole can become detrimental, destructive, and even negative in a true spiritual sense. When we look at Gavura, on the other hand, Gavura, which is this severity, this intensification within the self, which creates distinction and limitation and sets limits to things, thereby creating multiplication and multiplicity, which is the opposite of the unity of Chesed. Opposite, the water of Chesed is going to be the fire of Gavura, which takes that which was unified and breaks it up into innumerable parts. Now, when Gavura goes unbridled, when gavura is not limited, it can become something incredibly destructive, something associated with what Chazal referred to as shvichas damim, as acts of homicide, patricide, suicide, genocide, any act of destruction. Even a decision which includes and shares a suffix with, decide shares a suffix with homicide or suicide and so on and so forth. Because even when I make a decision which is rooted in the act of gavura, it means that I'm killing off one side of the option at that moment. If I am trying to make a decision as to what I want to hold in my hand at this moment, whether I want to hold my phone or whether I want to hold a pen, at the moment that I decide to pick up my phone, I have quite literally killed off the possibility of holding that pen in my hand. So yes, I can put the phone back down and pick up the pen and make a new decision, but at the moment of decision, which has an etymological relationship with incision, which is an act of cutting away, I am utilizing my gavura. So when gavura goes unbridled, when this koach of Yitzchak, which tells his father to tie him tighter on the altar during the Akedah, goes unlimited, it can create the desire, this death drive, if you will, this thanatos, which seeks to destroy things that are opposite itself. So on the one hand, ahava, which remains unbridled, chesed, which remains unbridled, can develop illicit relationships, and gavura, when it goes unbridled, can result in destructive tendencies, which seeks to destroy anything that is not the self-same of the individual. Now, the two poles of chesed and gavura, or Avraham and Yitzchak, which represent the right arm and the left arm of 
smolotachas roshi of gevura, the left hand that sits beneath the head, preparing situations, creating vessels, v'yamino techabkeni, and the right hand which seeks to develop actual relationships, or like Chazal described in the ideal educational model, is that the left hand pushes away just as the right hand draws in, this dialectic or this apparent duality or distinction between the left and the right eventually will become settled in what we're going to discuss tonight, which is the Mida of Teferis. Now, the ten spheros themselves can really be broken up into three lines. And this is not something we're going to go into too much depth about because this is something that will be more applicable and appropriate when discussing the Partsufim or the five modes of governance through which God, so to speak, interacts with limited reality, which will hopefully be a series of shirim later on. But suffice it to say that the ten spheros align themselves in three lines, in a left, a right, and a middle, or chesed din, chesed is going to be the right side, din is going to be the left side, and rachamim is going to be the middle side. And that acronym of chesed, din, and rachamim is going to spell out cheder, which means a room, wherein HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacts with creation. So if Avram Avinu is associated with the chesed of the right side, which in its essence seeks to connect everything together to create one seamless semblance of unity, which when pushed beyond its boundaries can result in unhealthy relationships, and Gevura, which is the left side of Yitzhak Avinu, which seeks to intensify the experience with oneself to deepen my experience and limit myself and withhold myself and adhere to the boundaries that abide within this world, which when it goes unbridled can result in the destructive tendency to destroy anything other than myself. The middle line of compassion associated with the Mida of Teferes is going to be associated with Yaakov Avinu. Now Yaakov Avinu is unique in the sense that as a composite of his grandfather Avram Avinu and his father Yitzhak Avinu, he attempts on a certain level to synthesize or to unify the two oppositional strengths of chesed and gevura, which when they go to their extremes of the left and the right can result in destructive tendencies. And Yaakov Avinu, on the other hand, what we find is that Chazal described by Yaakov Avinu that mitaso shlema, that Yaakov Avinu did not have any psolas. Yaakov Avinu, who represents the Mida of Teferes, did not have any extraneous spiritual forms which resulted in destructive tendencies like that of Avraham or that of Yitzchak. That by Avraham Avinu, we see that yes, he did give birth to Yitzchak Avinu, but he also gave birth to Yishmael, which is representative of the psolas of Chesed, those illicit forms of relationships. Chazal used a language describing this paradigmatic or archetypal form of Yishmael having nothing to do with any particular form of culture or religion or identity, but rather on the spiritual level, the idea of Yishmael is that 10 kavim, 10 measurements of znus, of illicit relationships came down into the world, and this concept of Yishmael received nine of them. And the idea is as follows, that Avram Avinu, which is the paradigm of chesed, when it receives too much or it's unwilling to set boundaries for itself, it results in znus, which is identified as the psoilas, the leftovers of Avram Avinu, which are going to be associated with his son, Yishmael, who did not become the prime receiver of the Jewish tradition. Yitzchak Avinu, who's going to be the archetype of Gevura and Din, is also going to have this psoilas. Yes, he gave birth to Yaakov Avinu, but he also gave birth to Esav. Now, Esav is going to be this idea of al you will live by the sword. In a sense, describing this psoilas, this extraneous nature of gevura, when taken beyond its limit, represents the, the seeking out of destroying that which is separate and apart from me, like we said, and which is why Esav is typically identified with violence, murder, and destructive tendencies. Yaakov Avinu, on the other hand, in spite of the fact that the 11 Shvatim fought against Yosef HaTzadik in what we refer to as a major pigam in the relationship of the Shvatim, nevertheless, the 12 tribes of Israel, when looked at from the general historical perspective, are all contained within the unified whole of holiness and Kedusha. So this is what Chazal mean when they say that Yaakov Avinu, mitaso shlema, Yaakov Avinu's bed was full. There was no psolas, there was no extraneous meaningless or destructive 
outgrowths from Yaakov Avinu, like we find by his grandfather Avram Avinu associated with the Midah of Chesed, or like Yitzchak, his father, like we find by the Midah of Gevura. Now, this Midah of Yaakov Avinu, which is Teferes, the reason that it doesn't have any psolas, the reason that the Sfarim point out that this Mida of Teferis does not have any extraneous or negative expression of itself is because Yaakov Avinu is going to be taking and drawing from both the right side of Chesed as well as the left side of Gevura to result in a synthesis that exceeds the parts that comprise it. In other words, if we look at Yaakov Avinu or the Mida of Teferis or grandeur or the aesthetic sense that sees beauty within the world as simply a synthesis in the Hegelian sense that it takes the thesis of Avram Avinu, the initial postulation of the chesed and loving kindness of Avram Avinu, and then the antithesis of Yitzhak Avinu, which says to that thesis, no, you have to stop here and you can't go any further. And then Yaakov Avinu or Teferis represents a simple synthesis which takes from both and creates a third that is separate and apart from the other two. Now, that is not what Yaakov Avinu is all about. That would simply be a Hegelian sense of a dialectic where one stage is set in opposition to a second stage, which eventually results in a third stage that is neither the first stage nor the second stage. In terms of Kabbalistic thinking or in terms of Kedusha, the synthesis of Teferes, the unifying principle of Teferes, is not that it negates either the chesed or the gevura of Avram and Yitzchak. It's not that it takes those two oppositional forms of the left side and the right side, or the movement outwards and the movement inwards, or the capacity of love and the capacity of fear, of the capacity of the positive commandments and the negative commandments. What the Leshem Shoah Achaloma would refer to as the koiches of hispashtus, of moving outwards and expressing itself outwards, and hiskavtsus, of collecting itself inwards, these two kohos do not undergo any change or shift through the synthesizing power of Yaakov Avinu or the Midah of Teferis, but rather both of them remain active in their essential forms, yet what Teferis or what Yaakov Avinu allows for is the simultaneity of the two of them operating in unison without creating any contradiction or paradox to one another. That the secret of Yaakov Avinu is not that he takes from Avraham and from Yitzchak and combines both of their strengths, both of the midos of chesed and gevura, and creates a composite form which is neither one or the other. The secret of Yaakov Avinu, the secret of Yaakov Avinu, which is Yoshev Ohalim, Yaakov Avinu Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim, the simple man who sat in two tents, the implication is that somehow, some way, in an impossible paradoxical form, Yaakov Avinu, or the Midah of Teferis, or the aesthetic sense of beauty that emerges from within the limitation of this worldliness, is the miraculous ability that takes two opposites, that takes trei hafachim, two things which are oppositional in their essential nature, and it allows them somehow to interact in unison, where neither negates the other, and both operate simultaneity. Now, Teferis is going to be this composite form wherein Ahava and Yira, or the movement outwards and the movement inwards, are going to be part and parcel of the same experience. The Ratsa and the Shov, the running forth outside of myself to cover more ground, to accomplish more spiritual activity, to engage in more things outside of myself, like the impulse of Chesed tells me, and this retreat inwards of the Shov, which says, I don't want to engage in the world outside of myself. I would only like to engage with the self-same nature of my unity within myself, because that's where I'm safe like the Ishbitzer Tzadikim and the Sod Yisharm write so often, that Avram Avinu, the Mida of Chesed, was willing to engage in a world of Suffolk. It was willing to engage with the other. It was willing to take this idealized truth of Ahava and Chesed and choose to see the world in a positive way like we spoke about. And therefore Avram Avinu was willing to welcome the other. Avram Avinu was willing to engage. Yitzchak Avinu, on the other hand, the paradigm of Din, was uninterested in engaging with other people. He was not interested in entering into a space of any suffix. Yitzchak only wanted what was present in front of him, and he wanted the truth of spirituality to be abundantly clear. 
after the doubled vision of Re'era Inu, where Avimelech says that with regards to the Midah of Gevura, we need to look twice to the depth of the matter. Yitzhak Avinu was uninterested in entering into any Sveikos, like the Tzadikim of Ishbet says, which is why he never leaves the land of Eretz Yisrael. So we see these two contradictory attitudes, one which is willing to engage the otherness of the world, one which says the other is hopeful, the other is safe, and therefore I want to move out of myself through the act of loving kindness to engage with them, and the Midah of Yitzchak, which says, I want to engage only with myself, I want to remain caught up and tied up within the secrecy of my own self, where nobody will bother me, where nobody will affect my spiritual attitude. Yaakov Avinu comes along and he takes these two traits and he unifies the two of them. So that on a certain level, the Midah of Teferes, this Midah of beauty, is also going to be represented by the concept of rachamim, of compassion. If chesed is loving kindness, and gvura is fear and limitation, teferes as a psychologically lived mood through which we see the world that we exist in on a day-to-day basis, in all of its mundanity as well as its holiness and sacred nature, is going to be a compassionate outlook on the world. Now, Many Mephorshim, many thinkers have asked the simple question of what is the difference between the Midah of Avram Avinu, which is loving kindness or chesed, or a willingness to look outwards towards the other, and the Midah of Rachamim, of compassion, which is associated with Yaakov Avinu. Now, first and foremost, we must understand that throughout this dualistic impulse within the self, the chesed of me, which tells me accept the other, be willing to look outside of myself, trust the world, only see good in the world, which is what drives me to move outwards, outside of myself, to express myself like water that flows from on high to below. And the Mida of Gvura, which tells me, trust only myself, remain within myself, penetrate the depths of myself, understand my own sugya, understand my own os in Torah, understand my own story in order to penetrate the depths of godliness within this world. These two contradictory movements, these two contradictory aspects of religious observance, of ahava and yira, of moving outwards in the hopes that I will find something positive and refraining myself because I'm afraid that I will only find things that are negative, what that results in is going to be the midah of rachamim, the midah of compassion. Now, compassion is different than chesed in the sense that chesed is my desire as a giver to engage with somebody outside of myself because I have a love that is burgeoning within me. I want to do good for the other. I want to give over to the other. I almost want to impose myself on the other. Like we saw when chesed goes unbridled, it's an overexpression of light which can inundate things in a negative matter. And gvura is that sense that I don't want to engage with anybody else. I want to stay solely within myself, self-saturated within my own ideals, because it's only in the hispoididus, in the loneliness of my own soul, like we saw from Rav Soloveitchik in Lonely Man of Faith, that I'm going to be able to understand the splitness of myself, the duality of myself. Comes along Rachamim, comes along compassion, and says that while on the one hand, I don't want to move out of myself, On the one hand, I want to stay self-same and unified within myself, private in the secrecy of my own self. Or like Simon and Garfunkel described so beautifully, that I have my poems and my books to protect me. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain, it's laughter, and it's loving, I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. This idea of Gvura says that all I need is myself. I don't need anybody else in order to engage in the world properly. I need to move inwards and retreat into myself. This paradoxical or dialectical movement, this pulsation of movement outwards and movement inwards gives birth to compassion. Compassion says that while on the one hand I don't want to move out of myself, on the other hand, I am very well aware of the suffering and the presence of the other in my life. It's not a movement outwards that says I have something to give over and therefore I'm going to give something over to another person which will satisfy a certain need within myself, rachamim, in contradistinction to chesed, is a movement outside of myself, not because of my own feelings, 
but because of the presence of the other. The presence of the other, the humanity of the other, the fact that the other person, someone other than me exists, is what beckons and allows for the rachamim or the teferis within me to grow. Because rachamim or compassion is going to be described at least in this year and based on the writings that I've studied and the teachers that I've learned from, is going to be identified as empathy. Now, if we look at chesed as sympathy, if we look at chesed as the ability for me to look at another person's situation and say, wow, that person is suffering, let me help them, and let me take from what I have and give over to them, empathy is going to be my capacity to join the other individual, not through my own perspective, not to sum them up through my own position, but rather to truly enter into their worldview, to wear their shoes, so to speak, as Chazal tell us, that I cannot judge a person until I walk in their shoes. And the Katzka Rebbe, Shusha Yoganalenu, tells us that it's impossible to ever fully experience the other person's shoes. So that true empathy on a certain level is entirely impossible. Nevertheless, empathy tells me, or Rachamim tells me, that I see the other. I understand their position. I understand that I experience something similar to what they're experiencing. And I can intuate from their own experience or from my own experience what that person must be feeling. So it's very different than sympathy. Sympathy is not entering into the other person's shoes. It's not entering into the other person's lived condition as a human being. It's rather from my own removed position offering them something that I have within myself. That's the Midah of Avram Avinu. The Midah of Yaakov, on the other hand, the Midah of Rachamim, is when I leave my self-situatedness from within my own self-consciousness and I decide to join the other. I look at the other person and I become aware on a certain level that in truth and the deepest parts of the soul, we are both experiencing the same difficulties. That just like I am a person who experiences longing and desire and pain and fear and hope, and I come from a place of grandparents and great-grandparents, I'm going towards a place of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and I am simply a part or a cog in the process of history, so too the other person who stands opposite me or in front of me is also part and parcel of the trajectory of history. They also had parents that loved them. They also had grandparents who had dreams for them. They may also have future progeny which will carry on their message. They also feel pain and they feel fear and they feel anxiety. And most importantly, the most real shared experience that we have with any other person is going to be a shared sense of vulnerability. The simple truth that both me and the other person are human. And as a result of being human, we are limited. And as a result of being limited, we are vulnerable. And as a result of being vulnerable, we are anxious. And as a result of being anxious, we live within our own minds worrying about what's going to happen. When I'm capable of entering into that space with another person and recognizing that their behaviors emerge from the same lived sense of being a human being that my behaviors emerge from, at that point, I am capable of joining the other person and offering them what I have to give, not because of the impulse of chesed or loving kindness, but rather because of the deeply shared sense of humanity that we both experience. That is the midah of rachamim. The midah of rachamim is my ability to see the other as a human being and to recognize that on a certain basic level, we are no different from one another. There's a remarkable teaching. In fact, it's one of my favorite teachings, I would say, that's first expressed by the Baal Shem Tov, and then it's expressed by the Magad of Mezrich and his Sefer Or HaTorah, and then it's brought down in the 33rd parak of Tanya from the Alter Rebbe. It's also brought down, or it's hinted to, in the 45th parak of Tanya from the Alter Rebbe, and it's also referred to in Lekutei Torah from the Alter Rebbe and Parshas Vayishlach. Now, the teaching is as follows. The Pasuk in Navi states that base Yaakov Asher Pada Es Avraham, the house of Jacob which came to redeem Avraham. Now the Mephorshim asks a very simple question. 
historically speaking, how can we say that Yaakov Avinu came and redeemed Avram Avinu in his life if chronologically Yaakov Avinu lived hundreds of years after, or not hundreds of years, but lived after Avram Avinu? And the answer that the Magad of Mezrich gives in the name of the Balshem Tov Akadosh, which the Balatanya records in his Tanya in two places, which anybody who's associated with the teachings of Chabad, in particular the Gan HaTanya, the 53 Prakam of Tanya, understands that the Balatanya chose very specifically each and every letter, each and every word that was going to enter into the Tarish HaBechsav of Taras HaChasidus. And therefore, if something is referred to twice, it means that it's a deeply significant teaching. And the way they interpret this Pasuk is as follows. Medrash on this Pasuk says that Yaakov Asher Padas Avraham, that Avraham Avinu, when he was thrown into the furnace by <clears throat> Nimrod, he was saved in the schus of Yaakov Avinu, who would eventually emerge from his progeny. Now the fact that Yaakov Avinu, the paradigm of, of, of Teferes, the archetype of Rachamim, it's what gave Avram Avinu the ability to be saved miraculously when he was thrown into the furnace. And the Magad of Mesrach says as follows, Ki Yaakov asher padas Avram, that Yaakov, Jacob, who redeemed Avraham, is the idea of Rachmanus poide es ha'ahava, that compassion redeems love, which means to say as follows, when we look at the Midah of Avram Avinu, when we look at the Midah of Ahava, when we look at the Midah of Chesed, what we understand is the movement out of the self which seeks to connect to the other because of love. I love the other person. I want to engage with the other person in front of me. I want to engage with the object in front of me, of the idea of me, because I love it, because I have a relationship with it, because it means something to me. But there comes a time where that love falls away, where the love of the early days, where the love of youth, where the Ahavas Hanurim, where that excited, feverish love that Ava Aza Kamavas is no longer there. I can no longer access it. It no longer feeds my soul with excitement. So the question is, what happens when love dies? What happens when the desire to give to the other out of the goodness of myself dies? And I no longer want to give to the other. In fact, I'm afraid of the other, or I no longer want to be with the other person. So the Magad of Mesrich says that Yaakov Asher Pada Es Avraham, if you want to redeem love that has died, if you want to redeem a connection between one person and the other, or between ourselves and God, or between ourselves and the world, or between ourselves and ourselves, which is what Ahava truly represents, one of the surefire ways of reigniting that fallen love is to find compassion. Is to, have rem is to be compassionate on another person, is to look at the other person and say, yes, there's so many reasons why the love has died. There's so many reasons why the relationship is no longer as active as it once was. But if I can enter into that shared experience of vulnerability, if I can find it within myself to join that person empathically and to see them as an equal because we share the same vulnerable experience of being alive, that Rachamim, that Midah of Teferis, that Midah of Yaakov Avinu, has the capacity of reawakening love, of redeeming love. That when I'm able to look at the other person and recognize that the same way that I have fears, and the same way that I have anxiety, and the same way that I have hopes and dreams, so too the other person has fears, and the other person has anxieties, and the other person has hopes and dreams, when I'm able to enter into that shared space of empathic joining with the other, something that different tzaddikim express in a remarkable way, in particular the Mitla Rebbe. We see by the Mitla Rebbe very famously a deep sense of empathy. When you read the Hakdamos of his Svarim, there's a sense that he was simply another person trying to speak to his own soul the same way he was trying to speak to other people's souls. That when he speaks about his Hasidim needing help, because of parnasa and because of lack of faith or because of doubts in their amuna, he's also speaking to himself. And that this empathy, this empathy that arises out of the deep sense that I share an experience with the other, that has the ability to redeem love. Now, parenthetically speaking, one of the reasons the Mitlarebi maybe experienced such a deep empathy is because of a famous story that's told about him and the Balhatanya. And in a second, we're going to look at the words of the Balhatanya in Parak Lamad Gimel, in the 33rd Parak of Tanya. 
But the story goes that the Mitla Rebbe was living in his father's house and the Balatanya was learning and the Mitla Rebbe was osek behispoinenus. He was osek in trying to cleave to God through intellectual processes with the deep realization that where my thoughts are is where I am. And therefore, if I fill my mind with thoughts of godliness and goodness, I'm connecting myself immediately to godliness and goodness. And during both of their learning, there was a baby that was crying. And the Balatanya was the one who got up to go help the baby. And famously, the story goes that the Balatanya came to the Mitla Rebbe and he says that if your learning cannot be interrupted by the crying of another human being, by the pain that a baby is expressing, then your learning is meaningless. In other words, yes, there's chesed to Hashem. Yes, there's giving of ourselves to Hashem, but there's also compassion. There's also the deep sense of empathy that we must share with other people simply as a result of us being human. And the Balatanya writes as follows in the 33rd parak of Tanya. He says, And the love that a person has for another person, based on the concealed good that exists within them, which is a spark of godliness, which gives life to their souls, is where the love comes from. And it's also helpful, And another way of coming close to another person or coming close to God is to invoke rachamin, compassion, to recognize the other person's situatedness. In my heart for the other person or for myself. That when I look at somebody who is other than me, when I look at somebody who I can no longer love, when I look at somebody where chesed is no longer the active principle in my life, the Balatanya's Eitza, based on his Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe, uh, the Magad of Mezrich, who was getting it from the Baal Shem Tov, it says as follows, that compassion negates hatred. That I can hate somebody. I can be furious with somebody because of what they've done to me. And I can judge them left and right and I can assume that it's all been purposeful and that they're meaningless in my life. But the moment that I'm the moment that I realize the shared humanity with that individual, the fact that they're as vulnerable as I am, at that moment, the hatred goes away. And it gives birth and it invigorates the love. As it is known, like the Pasuk says, to Yaakov Avinu, the Mida of Rachamim, which comes and redeems the Mida of Avraham Avinu. That compassion, or Teferis, allows for the fallen love to be born again, to be inflamed again. Now this teferis that we're speaking about, this mida, is really going to be the aesthetic sense that an individual has. It's going to be where beauty emerges. Now this beauty, this beautification of the world, is not based on any particular content. The mida of Yaakov Avinu is not the content that appears beautiful, but rather the perspective which allows us to see beauty. This is a very important idea. Rav Huttner expresses this multiple times, upwards from 10 as I counted today, in his Ma'amare Mansukis, in particular the new volume, Ma'amare Pachad Yitzchak, which came out through his son-in-law, Rav Yonas and David, that Rav Huttner, countless times when discussing the Mida of Yaakov Avinu, he says that in contradistinction to Avraham, who had a specific Mida of Chesed, or Yitzchak, who had a specific Mida of Gvura, Yaakov Avinu represents a traitless trait, or a mood that is really no particular mood, but rather the ability for me to find presence in anything that I come in contact with. That Yaakov Avinu was the preparation, the Mida of Teferes, is the ability to frame existence in whatever way we want to frame it. When I look at the world, I can see Ahava and I can see Yira. I can see Chesed and I can see Gevura. I can see presence and I can see absence. I can see darkness and I can see light. I can see joy and I can see suffering. I can see shacharis and the boker and the light of the morning or the darkness of the dusk, which is the mida of mincha of Yitzchak Avinu. The mida of Yaakov, the mida of Teferis, allows me to look at both of those situations and to frame them according to whatever needs to be done at that moment. That Yaakov Avinu doesn't have any particular mida, but rather Yaakov Avinu's mida, according to Rav Huttner, is the ability to enter into any situation and find God there. 
that Yaakov Avinu says, Ahava and Yira, those are not contradictions because everything is an expression of the divine qualities in the world. And it's this framing that allows me to see the beauty in the world. When the Meforshim discussed the word Teferes, it's rooted in the word Pe'er. Pe'er, or beautification, or the aesthetic sense that emerges out of this world, according to the Malbim and according to the different Meforshim of Tanakh, is in truth the ability of differentiated parts emerging in some unified whole to create a sum that is greater than the total of their parts. In other words, when a person looks at something that creates the aesthetic sense, a painting, for example, on a deep level beyond the simple image of the painting, there is the deep sense that what I see in front of me is a combination or a unification of many disparate points of paint, many different hues, many different shades, many different colors, and it's specifically the unity that emerges out of these opposites that allows me to see something beautiful. That if something is monolithic, if something is singular, if something is either one or the other, black or white, chesed or gavura, they might be powerful, but there's nothing beautiful about them. There's nothing beautiful about the brute force of love associated with ahava or the deep negation of things associated with gavura. It's only in the impossible composition of opposites as they operate in simultaneity together where beauty emerges. Pe'er, this beauty, is going to share the same etymological roots and even the letters as the word afer, or dust and ashes, or ashes really, afer. And Chazal already in discussing the halachos of Tishabav recognize this when they say that afer tachas pe'er or pe'er tachas afer. Now the thing about ashes, like we saw when discussing the Midah of Yitzchak Avinu, is that fire comes and negates everything. It takes something that was unified and it breaks it into irreducible points. That fire takes something that was whole and it disintegrates it into manifold forms or manifold parts which have no relationship with one another. Pe'er, or his pa'arus, or beauty, emerges when all of those things which appear to be separate and distinct from one another, all of these oppositional traits, the opposition between Avram and Yitzchak, the opposition between moving forward and moving backward, the opposition between all the binary oppositions of light and night and darkness and light and goodness and evil and positive commandments and negative commandments and moving outwards and refraining and moving inwards or ruts of the shov or shacharis and mincha, all of those become unified in the fact that they create or they give of themselves to a greater image that is teferis, where the pe'er comes from taking the separated pieces of afer and afar and the separateness of ashes and seeing that in truth they can create an image that is greater than the sum total of its parts. That Yaakov Avinu's ability to frame existence, to look at life and see goodness in spite of the fact that there is a shinoi, in spite of the fact that there are changes, in spite of the fact that there have been many situations where Yaakov Avinu and we as the followers of Yaakov Avinu do not find goodness, that we are capable of finding light even within darkness and darkness within light, that we can wrestle with the Ish of Esav, we can wrestle with the Sarosh of Esav in the darkness, at the Ma'avor Yavok, at that passageway between light and darkness where Yaakov Avinu represents the ability to engage in frightening darkness and come out unscathed and even with a deeper sense of holiness, that's only through this ability to unify opposites without negating one another. That Yaakov Avinu is the Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. Chazal tell us that Ohalim is a Lashon plural, that it's a pluralized language in the sense that Yaakov Avinu occupies two tents. He occupies the tent of Avram Avinu, and he also occupies the tent of Yitzhak Avinu. Different Sadiqim have pointed out that Ohel, or tent, is the acronym of the Roshe Tevos of two different words. Or Hameir La'atzmo, a light that emerges and shines for the individual themselves, which is going to be the Mida of Gevura, where I allow light to penetrate deeply within myself. And Or Hameir Lezulat, and a light that emerges outwards to the other. So that Yaakov Avinu is really going to be this yashar, this straight path, which doesn't have the ability to deviate because it contains both potentials within it. 
that anywhere that Yaakov Avinu looks, he finds his truth, which is why the Midah of Teferis is associated with Emes. Emes Chazal tell us truth is based on the fact that the beginning, the middle, and the end are true to themselves, that there's a sense of continuity, there's a sense of Yashras, there's a sense of a Mavrich Meha Elyon El Hatachton, that the Midah of Teferis, this middle point, emerges from the beginning and it descends down to the end and it can move upwards and downwards at once. The Yaakov Avinu lo mes. Yaakov Avinu doesn't die. There's no opposition to the Midah of MS because MS is based on my perception at that moment. That Yaakov Avinu's Midah of Teferis, or the lived sense of Teferis that chooses to see positive in the world, and chooses to see unity in the place of opposition, which so often leads to hopelessness and despair, is that everything that I engage, everything that I encounter, becomes an opportunity to serve God, becomes an opportunity to elevate that situation to holiness. That's the Midah of Teferis. That's the traitless trait of Teferis, which is in truth the ability to utilize any opportunity and to serve God. Whether it's night or day, whether it's dark or light, whether it's good or bad, whether it's scary or it's serene, both of those opportunities allow for me to serve God. For this, we can understand the language of the Zohar, which teaches us a simple truth about the halacha of the tefillah of Ma'ariv, the prayer of Ma'ariv, which is associated with Yaakov Avinu, Shacharis, which is associated with the birth of a new day, with the chadashim lebekarim raba amunasecha, the hopefulness of a new day prior to the pollution and the disintegration that takes place when human beings walk upon the earth. The tefillah of shacharis is associated with the hopefulness to face the day, a hopefulness that today will be the day, so to speak. Mincha, on the other hand, is associated with Yitzhak. It's a time of din, it's a time of death, it's a time of destitution, where the day gives room for the night and darkness overtakes light. Yaakov Avinu, on the other hand, is associated with the tefillah of Ma'ariv, with the nighttime prayer. And surprisingly, we find that there's an important distinction between the two first prayers of Avraham and Yitzhak, or Shacharis and Mincha, and between the third prayer of Yaakov Avinu, that the first two prayers are going to be commandments. They're going to be positive commandments where a person has a call to prayer. There's a certain responsibility. Yet Ma'ariv, on the other hand, is going to be referred to as a rishus. It's going to be optional. While the first two prayers are positive commandments, the third prayer is going to be optional. And the way the Zohar describes this is that the sense of commandment, the sense of being called to engage in a specific behavior at a specific time, is rooted in the sense that at this moment, there has to be a particular way of engaging with the world. There's a specific strength within myself that needs to see the world in a particular way right now. Yet rishus, or permission, means that it is up to me. It's volitional. And this volitional action, this choice to see God in the world or not to see God in the world, this choice to see darkness or light, is attributed to Yaakov Avinu. It's the ability to make any moment positive. It's the ability to look at anything that is in front of me. I no longer need any specific ingredients to create the recipe of spirituality, but rather any opportunity that arises for me, any moment that I exist, any rega that I exist is going to be an opportunity to serve God, which is why the Chidushe Harim and different Sadiqim point out to us that Yaakov or Yud Ayin Kuf Beis is going to be the same Roshe Tevos, or acronym, as Yesh Kona Olamo Bisha'a. There is an individual who is capable of finding that wo their world or seeing the entirety of their spiritual experience in one moment. Because for Yaakov Avinu, all that matters is that it's a moment. It doesn't matter what's happening right now. The Mida of Teferes, this trait within myself to see beauty in the world, to be compassionate on myself or to be compassionate on the world, is not contingent on any structurized form, but rather it's conditioned or contingent on my perception. That Yaakov Avinu is the one who teaches us to be an ish tam yoshev ohalim, the simplicity of the tam versus the chacham, the ability to reach the apex of knowledge, to come to the end of complications, to come to that place where all words have been expressed, where I have tried to utilize all forms of expression at the end of the day, I've come to realize that I know absolutely nothing. That tamimus, 
that simplicity or that wholeness in which a human being is capable of facing the moment is what allows me to choose what the moment means to me. The moment begins and the moment ends. And the moment ends and the moment begins. Yaakov Avinu's Mida of Teferes is to find beauty in each and every one of those moments. It's the ability to recognize that both between the Ahava and the Yira, between the up and the down, I can choose to share my experience. I can choose to join the other. I can choose to be compassionate to the world. And in this sense, even when I encounter darkness, Ma'ariv or the Tfila of Yaakov Avinu is associated with darkness. And on a certain level, Yaakov Avinu is the forefather who experienced the most darkness. But Yaakov Avinu was capable of saying, how profoundly frightening is this moment? How profoundly meaningful is this experience? Like Chazal tell us that Nora teaches us that it's not only when God reveals himself in the world where we can find God, but it's also in the times that Hashem conceals himself that we can find him. That where is the Nora? Where is the powerful lordship of God in the world? And Chazal tell us something so profound that it's specifically in his refrain from punishing other people that we can find the Nora'ot, that we can find the wondrous acts of God in the world. So that Bain Chesed and Bain Gevura, Bain expression and Bain removal, we experience the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Midah of Yaakov Avinu is this ability to enliven the moment, that there is no moment that is dead. Tiferes allows me to see the beauty that emerges out of each disparate moment, and it allows for a paradoxical and simultaneous relationship between good and bad. I'm no longer the infantile child who can only see good or bad, or light and darkness, like Donald Winnicott would say, but rather I am the mature individual who is now capable of understanding that the world is never either or, but rather is a composite form of both and that it is always dark and light. It's neither light nor darkness because it's always both. Because what it's truly contingent on, my relationship with the world is truly based on my perception, on my framing, on what allows me to see the beauty in the world. And like we said in the name of the Balatanya, in the name of the Alter Rebbe, in the name of his Rebbe, the Magad of Mezrich, in the name of their Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, Rachmanes Poide Esa Ava, when I'm able to look at the world in a sense that every opportunity allows me to engage with godliness, it allows me to take that which is permissible and is optional, which is a rishus, and allows me to elevate it, like the Ramban says, Kadesh Atzmach elevate yourself with that which is permissible or open in front of you. In other words, engage in the midah of Bechira, of volitional choice, which is so deeply related with Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir Sheba Avos, the chosen one of the forefathers, Bechir is also going to be the letters of Bechira, because volitional choice only emerges like we've spoken about so often, especially in the Shir Man Rav Kook and Reish Milan and the Lesham Shabbat Achaloma, is that the purpose of creation is to allow for the even playing field of volitional Bechira. And the only way that volitional Bechira emerges is when there is a distinction between things, when there is good and bad, or positive and negative, or light and darkness. That is the Mida of Yaakov Avinu, the individual who teaches us how to choose to engage with godliness. Rishus allows me to choose. The optional choice of davening at night makes it a much deeper relationship because I have volitionally chosen to engage in it. And when a person finds themselves stuck in a space where Ahava has died, where Gevura has overtaken Ahava, or where Gevura becomes the only reigning Mida, or when Chesed becomes the only reigning Mida, it's specifically the Mida of Yaakov. It's specifically the Rachmanus that has the capacity to be poida as Ahava. And this is what the Sod Yesharim Tzchusi Agenaleinu, Rav Gershon Henecha Rodzin Tzchusi Agenaleinu writes so often, but in particular in the 63rd teaching, in his teachings on Hoshana Rabba, on Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, he writes as follows, that in Musaf Rosh Hashanah, we say in, the, in Musaf, we say that Ha ben Yakir li Ephraim, that specifically Ephraim, specifically the lowest of the Shvatim, the Pasuk says, is it true that he's my loved child? No, God doesn't like Ephraim at that moment. The nation of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim is fallen and broken. So how is it that I can find love on this fallen place? 
How is it that God can come and love something that has fallen from grace? It's specifically by speaking about Ephraim. And by speaking about Ephraim, I begin to recognize that Ephraim is a human being just like me. And then when I recognize that Ephraim is a human being just like me, Zachar Eskerenu Od, I remember him. And I begin to recognize that there but by the grace of God go I, that I am no different than the other. Rachim Acharemu that I will have the ability to be compassionate about him. Homu mea love, my innards yearn after him. When I'm capable of recognizing the shared humanity of another individual, when I recognize that the person who bothers me most is in truth simply a reflection of myself, that Yaakov and Esau are twins in the sense that they both represent this duality, this midah of teferes, and my necessity to choose between one or the other, it's specifically there where I can be able to embrace the world in its fullness. Unlike the midah of chesed, which can only embrace the world through loving kindness, and unlike the midah of gevura, which only embraces the world through negation and severity, the midah of Yaakov Avinu, Yoshev Ohalim, who occupies both tents, the tent that emerges inwards and the tent that emerges outwards, it's specifically by Yaakov Avinu, by Rachamim, that I'm capable of seeing the beauty of the world, the grandeur of the world that appears from the disparate nature of things. The beautiful picture that takes place specifically because of the contrast of colors. Yisrael Asher Bacha Et Pa'er, God says, that the Jewish people in whom I will take glory and who I will find grandeur. It's specifically the fact that each and every Jew is different, that each and every person is different, that we create this beautiful image of B'nai Yisrael, the children of Yaakov Avinu. Had it been a monolithic path, had it been only Kohanim or Leviim, that would have either been Chesed or Gevura. It's specifically in the Yisraelim, in the Hamon Am, in the general population where we find this multiplicity, this differentiation, this opposition, that instead of creating pain and distortion, gives birth to beauty and unity. Next week, Be'ezra Sashem, what we're going to be discussing is in fact the Midos of Netzach and Hod. We're going to discuss the next two spheres together, as various Mikubalim have pointed out, based on the Zohar, that Netzach and Hod are really tre palge gufe. They're two halves of the self, which can and comprise a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. And we're going to discuss the midos of Netzach and Hod as they relate to the moods of an individual which takes these midos of Chesed, Gvura, and Teferes and allow them to become more externalized and more engaged with the other as opposed to relating with the person themselves.